This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Hello, everyone. My name is Erin Trelore, and I am the host of Raw Beauty Talks. We're taking you behind the highlight reel of the world's biggest influencers and wellness gurus to get a raw glimpse of what beauty, health, and wellness look like in today's world so that you can feel your absolute best in your body and in your life. If you asked me to name one woman that I insta-stalk, I would have to say it is Angie Fletcher. She is someone who I've looked up to for years and as a fellow sensitive soul with a heart-led purpose, she has an incredible ability to show up authentically in her life while letting all of us join her on her journey. A former model and triathlete, Angie has lived through losing her parents, divorce, bouts of anxiety and depression, the birth of three beautiful beautiful babies, and so much more. She does it all with a grace and rawness that has attracted a tremendous following of women who look to her not only for health and wellness inspiration, but just to connect at a human level. Angie, when I thought about starting this podcast, you were one of the very first women who came to mind because you have overcome adversity over and over again, and you are one of the rare women who shares your story with such pure intentions. There's no intimate share followed by sign up for my course and here's how to heal from it, which is fine too. But you, you just show up. I actually wish I had a course. (laughs) I have no doubt that you will someday have a course because you really are one of those people who is so introspective. And honestly, you're a light. You just connect with people so brilliantly. And so I want to thank you for that. I'm so excited to chat with you today. And while I know we could literally talk all day. I really want to kind of zoom in and focus on your experience with anxiety and depression in this episode because it's something that so many women are experiencing today. Yeah. When did you first experience anxiety or depression? What came first and how did it show up for you? Because what I've learned is that everyone's experience with it can be very different. Very different. Yeah. It's like snowflakes. (laughs) Everyone's experience is so unique, even though it can be umbrellaed under depression or anxiety. What I think is comical for some reason to have them in the same sentence is they're opposite for me. I experienced a lot more depression in my life than anxiety. Anxiety didn't show up for me until much, much later in my 30s. I've dealt with anxiety since like my earliest memories before my dad dying. My dad died when I was 11. But even before then, I've just always been like a melancholy, more of an introspective person. And with that, I've gravitated more towards sadness and more towards now I know what to call it, you know, being a victim or different things like that. But I've always dealt with it that now I can look back and say, yeah, it was definitely what you would call depression, which that term for me has also taken a new form since I've done a lot more research on it in my last couple of years, but I've dealt with depression a lot more. And depression is a low laying on the couch. It's more of a downer where the anxiety is an upper Mm -hmm. (laughs) anxiety for me, you know, you start shaking and you have these panic attacks. And it's the opposite of depression for me. So to put the two together just doesn't seem like they fit. Even though I have dealt with both. Mm -hmm. Um, I've dealt with depression a lot more if that answers your question. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned that when you were younger, as young as 11, you started to notice those depressive feelings. And when was it that your father passed away? He passed away when I was 11. So when I was 10 years old, he was dealing with cancer and he died of leukemia. Well, he actually died of um, pneumonia, but pneumonia due to his low immunity because of the chemotherapy they went through. I don't have a lot of memories of like self-aware memories of before he died, but I do have memories of even going through what I did with him. My mom was a very open person and dealing with things like my mom and dad dealt with his cancer very proactively, I would want to say, where they went to a funeral home, they bought a casket, they bought his plot while he was still alive because my dad didn't want my mom to have to do it alone with four kids. Mm. So they kind of did everything together and they were very open about it, which I'm so grateful for because it kind of has helped me be who I am today, being open in conversation about things instead of just not dealing with it. 
So I have memories of being in the room with my dad, listening to classical music. And my mom had all of us go into the room and say goodbye to him. Because again, just having that open conversation where in his last days where the doctors, you know, they always kind of give, oh, six months or whatever, which I totally don't agree with because I believe God is bigger than that, <laughs> than a death sentence. Mm -hmm. No one knows when they're going to die. You can be given six months and then be hit by a bus in a week and there's your death sentence. Totally. Um, <laughs> that being said, I, I do have memories of going in and listening to classical music, being on the bed with him. And I, I don't know what you do at 11 years old. <laughs> you sit, sit with your dad and say goodbye to him. Like it's a weird concept for me that I still tear up thinking about now. But that memory has kind of been like an overarching theme to probably the next two decades after that was just not having the tools to be able to deal with my dad being taken away from me. Mm -hmm. When you're so young, so young to process that. When you're so young. Yeah. And kind of going through puberty and with most girls, I would say, you know, I don't know the, the Freudian theology behind it, but going through puberty and your dad quite often being your first love or the person that you look to for male connection or whatever. And so losing him while I was going through puberty probably had a lot to do with, again, that overarching theme of being a victim and just having more of that melancholy, like, oh, just feeling my dad was taken away and, and then staying in that lonely feeling rather than, I don't know, being a survivor or being a overcomer or anything like that. That came way, way, way later when I had more tools. When you say that you were a victim, you were a victim. Your father was taken from you when you were young and far, far sooner than he ever should have been. And so it makes sense that that is the way that your your shapes and your thought and your vision of the world sort of formed because when you're 11, that is the reality of the situation. You can look at it that way for sure. And that's how I looked at it for years and years and years. Now I look at it as well, do any of us deserve to have anything in life? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, why did I deserve to have a dad? When your parents die at any age, it's hard. It's hard when you've had them for 70, 80, 90 years, because then you've had so many more memories and so much maybe of a bigger loss in your life or, or feeling a bigger sense of emptiness when you've had all those memories than not. I don't know. I just kind of look at it differently of like, well, I don't know what we deserve and what we don't. I don't think we deserve a lot. I think that kind of becomes an entitlement mentality mm. and it turns into a victim mentality when you're just able to practice gratefulness and being grateful for whatever you have at whatever stage in life, because everything will be taken away. We all die. <laughs> mm -hmm. And there's things that happen that nobody deserves. I mean, you know, you can compare yourself. My mom always said, if you're going to compare yourself up, you need to compare yourself down. So if I'm going to compare myself to someone who's had their dad for 70 years, well, I need to compare myself to the orphan who never had a dad in the first place. Wow. I love that. Yeah. Or someone who watched their dad being shot or murdered in front of them. Like there's, again, my view has changed on being a victim big time because I lived it for 20, 30 years. And now I'm like, yeah, nope, that's got to change. <laughs> that was exhausting. <laughs> yeah, that didn't really lead me to uh, anywhere good other than right now. It's led me to the passion that I have now, uh, which is a good thing. But it it does, a lot of times it does feel like a lot of wasted years, which is unfortunate. I love what you said, though, in this world that we live in today where there is so much comparison and comparison at our fingertips, really, when we have social media right there, that this concept of if you're going to compare up, which we all do, it's human nature, but remember to compare down as well. And it's a really beautiful way or kind of tool to help remind you of all that you do have and all that you can be grateful for. So thank you for sharing that. Is there anything that you would pass on or share with somebody um, who's going through a stage of grief or loss of parents or a sibling or a friend and who's in sort of that dark place of grief in regards to getting through it? Yes. <laughs> I get that question hundreds of times a day. I think because I am so open with my journey on social media and a lot of times 
you know, people come to me because they can't come to other people who maybe don't understand. And they, they do message me as a friend, even though I don't know them, but because they've journeyed through what I've gone through and they feel like it's a good place to ask. So I almost could copy and paste an answer, which I can't because everyone, like we were saying, is so unique. But what you said is the key, going through it. I've always talked about going through it and not ever getting over it. Because when someone dies, if we're just speaking about grief, and it can cross over into divorce, because divorce is a death, I think as well. It's a death of a relationship. It's a death of your hopes and your dreams and what you thought your life would be. And that's now dead and changed direction. But it is a grieving process for sure, which a lot of people don't really correlate the two. But so when you're talking about just grief in general, it is a going through it. I think the biggest thing for me, which I talk a lot about is seasons. And when you're talking about comparison, it's hard not to compare yourself to someone else's season, but even your own season of where you thought that you would be or where you wish that you would be. The biggest thing about grief is it's just hard. There's no way around it. There's no way over it. There's no way of escaping it. Because if you think you're going to run from it, or if you think you're going to compartmentalize it, it's going to hit you like a ton of bricks, whether it's a year from now, or four years from now, or 20 years from now, it's going to show up and it's going to show up in your body health wise. And it's going to show up in your mind and in your heart. And so I have two different ways that I've experienced it. One, I did run from it. Because after my divorce, I started smoking and I started drinking and I started taking drugs, not hard drugs, Mm -hmm. (laughs) just put that out there. But I did take a lot of pharmaceutical drugs, whether it was antidepressants or whatever, because the pain was too big for me to actually sit in the season and deal with it because I didn't have the tools that I was able to practice before my mom's death. So I was able to practice different tools and different ways of dealing with being in a hard place after my divorce. I wasn't able to practice it before. So I didn't have that toolbox or even, you know, when you're, when you're practicing for a marathon, when you're training for a marathon, you are a different person before you started training than afterwards, because that training of your body is also training of your mind. So again, sorry to go down that whole path, but with my divorce, I numbed it. I numbed it any way that I could numb it. And it obviously turned up in my health. I mean, I was a pack a day smoker. (laughs) Which just seems like the opposite of who you are now. Of who I am 10 years later. Yeah. It was the only way that with a two-year-old that I could cope was just numbing it, numbing it, numbing it, numbing it. What I have now for tools is you're still going through it. But when you're going through it, to be self-aware enough to know what to go to instead of just falling into a habitual victim place. It's a mind-body-spirit connection and it's taking actionable steps. You're still going to be hurting. You're still going to be crying. You're still going to be in a fog. You're still going to go through all the steps of grief, which are anger, denial, all of those steps, which I don't have laid out in front of me right now. But you're going to go through all those steps. So if you're going to go through them, you might as well go through them with a glass of water instead of a glass of wine (laughs) (laughs) or stepping outside and having fresh air instead of being curled up on the couch. There's a season to be curled up in a couch and to, to cry and to bawl your eyes out and to feel that depth of a wave crashing over you because that's what it is. But then at some point, having the tools to lift yourself out. And if you don't have those tools, then have a friend or a therapist or someone who has been through it to be able to hold your hand and bring you to that next level, even though you might be back on the couch the next day or the next morning. But implementing actionable steps to keep on going through it, it does get lighter. And the seasons do change because that's that's nature. That's the way that God set it up is seasons do change and you aren't going to be in this black hole forever. If you take actionable steps, whether they're tiny steps or huge steps, like, or one step back, two steps forward or whatever, it is action that will keep on getting you through it because that's what common sense tells you, right? If you're going to stay in one place, you're going to be in that place, but life doesn't stay in that one place because just 
just because your dad died doesn't mean that your dog's not going to die next week or that your mom's not going to die or that you're, you know, all these things that just keep on happening. Life keeps on happening. So you have to keep on changing with it. Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals for a second. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that really don't help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversation, and Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teachings so you're ready to practice what you learned in the real world. If you're heading to another country, anytime soon, start using Babbel a few weeks before you go to learn basics like how to order food, ask for directions, speak to merchants without having to consult language apps while you're away. So fun. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L com slash talks. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Lola V, an award-winning hair care line founded by the fabulous Jennifer Aniston. Jen got tired of the same old struggle we all face, choosing between hair products that work and ones that are actually good for us. With Lola V, that dilemma is history. We all put our hair through the ringer. That's why it's crucial to have products that not only repair the look of the damage, but also shield your locks from future harm. Enter Lola V's bestsellers, the Glossing Detangler and the Perfecting Leave-In Conditioner. They're your hair's new best friend. For a limited time, you get 15% off your entire order at lolavie.com. Just use the code RAWBEAUTYTALKS at checkout. Lolavie is all about naturally derived plant-based goodness, no silicone, sulfates, parabens, or gluten, and of course, cruelty-free and vegan. That's 15% off your order at lolavie.com with promo code RAWBEAUTYTALKS. You can only use one promo code per order and discounts can't be combined. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Tell them I sent you over. I love that. You mentioned a couple of times these tools that have really supported you in sitting in the grief and moving through it. You mentioned drinking water, getting fresh air, talking to a friend or a therapist. Is there anything else that you have in your toolbox that might be helpful for people who are sitting there saying, I don't have the tools. I'm just stuck and life feels like shit right now. Are there any other tools that you can share? I have a million tools. <laughs> <laughs> then I have all the time in the day. I know. I have so many tools. I'm writing a book on it, which I'm really excited about because I, I get this question so many times and I feel like I want to write a book that is attainable for people that has science and medicinal truths, but at like a mom level. And I don't mean to <laughs> to demean a mom's intelligence, but like to, to have graspable things that aren't like, oh, I need to read this dictionary or this medical journal that I know nothing about and that my brain can't comprehend right now. I want to write a book where it's like experience and just tangible truths of saying, okay, drinking water, that's a funny thing. Why do we drink water for the hydration of it? so that our cells can flourish. It's not like, oh, grab a drink of water and you're not going to feel sad anymore. Yes. That's obviously <laughs> false. Um, but <laughs> If only it were that simple. If only. <laughs> I know, right? Believe me. But knowing, knowing what water does to your system as opposed to what coffee does, and I have coffee as a tool. I think it's a fantastic tool. Um, but if you're drinking coffee all day long, your body will become acidic and you will have terrible, terrible side effects from having an acidic system rather than having a hydrated system where your pH level is alkaline and not acidic, just totally changes your physiology, changes your cells. It's kind of digging deeper into the why behind things instead of just the do this and don't do this. It's do this because of this. And why does this, why does this change my physiology? rather than just do or don't. I think that's so important. I think it is too, especially 
I, I constantly preach, do your own research, do your own research, because every body will react differently as well. You know, case in point, um, celery juice <laughs> is this yes. huge <laughs> fad right now. <laughs> celery juice will be very beneficial for some people in a season that they're in, if their body is in a certain place, if their gut is in a certain place, but it could be detrimental to someone else who is having a different reaction. If they have SIBO, if they have different gut inflammations where it's not the end all cure all. And I know people are looking for that magic pill because we all want to have life be easier than it is because it's just hard. But there is no magic pill. There's a multi-therapeutic approach to wellness. It doesn't mean that you're not going to feel the pain because what we've been accustomed to now is numbing the pain. So ever since pharmaceutical companies were allowed to do their direct-to-consumer advertising, it has been about get rid of the pain. Take this pill, get rid of the pain. Well, it's false advertising because as we all now are privy to, if we put the volume on, on these pharmaceutical company advertisements, you can take away the pain of this for one second of the commercial. For the other 59 seconds of the commercial, they're going to give you the side effects of what you're going to be dealing with, where we will not escape the pain. And I think once you have that approach, especially with death or with divorce or with anything that you're going through in life, where you don't have the mentality of, I need to do something to escape this pain, then I think you're going to go through it a lot. And I, I hate to say the word easier, but I think that it is easier when you're not trying to escape something and when you just know that this is going to hurt, but with the hurt comes the change. And I relate that always to my training because you cannot train for a marathon and you cannot train for a triathlon, you can't train for a 5k or even train to get up in the morning without dealing with pain. Whether it's psychological pain, emotional pain, physical pain. I don't know anyone who's never gone through physical pain. It's part of the breakdown. Yeah. We try and protect our kids from falling so they don't break a bone. And I get that. But kids fall, not to use my favorite Batman quote, but why, why do we fall? <laughs> <laughs> so that we can learn to get up like it's all a learning process it's not about escaping the pain it's about learning what to do with it and and learning to grow through the pain or because of the pain so many different gems that you just mentioned and i think you know one of the things i heard was listening to your body and really knowing that no matter what some health professional is telling you whether it's celery juice or getting outside and going to the gym it's really all about tuning back into your own body and recognizing what works for you doing the research so that you understand the why behind it when there are so many things pulling us in so many directions today i think it's so important to understand the why behind what you're doing in order to have that motivation to follow through. Otherwise, we're just going to kind of go with the thing that's the most pleasurable in the moment. And sometimes that really is going to look like a glass of wine and that's okay. But other times... <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that. It is okay. It is okay to have a glass of wine. What I would say is have a glass of wine to feel good, not to feel bad. Right. Not to numb. Yeah, when you're feeling bad and you're feeling really sad and depressed, that glass of wine will not help you. It'll help you get more sad and more depressed because that's what cigarettes did for me. Mm. I loved the feeling of being sad because it allowed me not to take responsibility for my life. So when I had that cigarette, it just brought me deeper into my depression and into my self-loathing and into my whole funk that I knew was just this cloak of not having to take responsibility for my life. And it turned into a habit, which was a practice, which then turned into my life until I woke up and said, no, I don't want my life to look like this. This is not going to be my life. What was that moment for you? It was a series of moments. A huge wake up moment for me was and again, I cry every time I think of this moment, my little boy, who's now 
getting his driver's license. He's almost 16. Ah. But my little boy was probably about, I want to say four years old. So kind of in that phase of still wanting to be tucked in at night, you know, wanting to be read a story. I was divorced at the, or separated at this point. So I was doing it alone, but I had to, had just a rough day and I was dying to have my cigarette. So I tucked him in. I had an upstairs in my apartment. So I tucked him in up in his bed. I read him a story and I did everything rushed because my body was craving that, that cigarette and just that alone time. So I tucked him in and I went downstairs and I never let him see me smoke. So I went downstairs and just kind of sat in the door so I could still hear him. This was before baby monitors. <laughs> so I kind of closed the door halfway and I was having my cigarette and he came down the stairs and he kind of peeked around the stairs and he said, mama. And I whipped my head around and obviously he was old enough to smell the smoke, but he was like, mama, what are you doing? And it was such a wake up call for me because instead of turning around and, and throwing the cigarette out and, and coming to his aid, because obviously he needed me and tucking him in again, I got angry and I yelled at him and I said, get upstairs. I told you to be in bed and to stay in bed. Mm. And I instantly, <laughs> obviously regretted it. Here I'm yelling at my little baby boy who needs me, but I needed a cigarette more. And that's still, you know, that, that mom guilt, obviously is, is so heavy, but that was a huge wake up call for me. I didn't stop smoking for another probably six months or a year after that, but that was a huge wake up call for me to be like, Oh no, no, no. I don't want to be that mom. I don't want to be that mom. I don't want to be that person, but it was, that wasn't big enough for me to stop. And I, I tried quitting after that, but then it was the habits. Like I had to get rid of my car. I had to change the lease of my car because every time I got into my car, I craved a cigarette. So it wasn't until I changed cars that I didn't have that Havlovian response yeah. almost, or, you know, that, that triggered, um, smell or that triggered, Oh, I'm driving the highway. I'm putting my window down. I'm putting my, my foot out and, or my hand out. I mean, I didn't smoke with my feet. I smoked with my hands having that. <laughs> I love that image that I just caught. <laughs> and I know that was a terrible image, like a cigarette between my toes. It wasn't until I did something harder than quitting smoking. And that was training for triathlon for me that I was able to quit. Riding my bike for six hours a day was harder than quitting. And so I was able to quit because my body hurt so much after doing that six hour ride that that was harder. You found your strength. You found some strength. And I mean, also, I can only imagine riding a bike for six hours with smoker's lung. No, it took, yeah, it took me six months to clear it. The two just don't go together very well. It's like you picked up a new habit that overrode the other one. It was something that was harder because I, I still ran. I ran my first marathon with smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. I smoked the night before and the morning of and then I ran a marathon and then I smoked the whole way home. And I wouldn't recommend that to anybody. <laughs> That's badass, first of all. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's terrible ass. I don't even know how, how. That just shows, I feel like that shows your strength. The implications of that <laughs> for my health. Oh. oh my gosh. Yeah. I don't know what it shows, but it was terrible. But I did something harder and it was, it was in the season. Which brings me to my number one tool. Yes. <laughs> On a big roundabout <laughs> rabbit hole. My number one tool before anything that worked for me was action. Other tools being mindset, nutrition, pain management, detoxing, minimalizing. All of those things, I think, come after action. So I didn't start eating well. Even though I knew that I should, my, my dad died of cancer. I knew I shouldn't be smoking, but that wasn't, death wasn't enough of a motivation for me. How crazy mm. is that? But that's just human, I feel like. Taking action is the number one step. Well, maybe mindset would come before action because you need to change your mind. Nope. I'm going to say action first because your body moving will change your mind. I can sit on the couch and in my mind say, yeah, I got to go work out. 
uh, I should go for a workout. I'm scrolling through Instagram. I see all these people working out. Uh, I should work out. That is in my mind. But the action taken is putting on my running shoes and going outside and shutting off my mind because my mind habitually over years and years and years of being depressed and being a victim, my go-to brain pattern, and I'm sure that there's a ton of science behind the actual patterns that your brain goes to and the ruts that are in your brain, my automatic go-to was feel sorry for yourself and don't do this, where in my training, I have to shut my mind off and do it anyway. Mm-hmm. I have to shut off what my brain is telling me because my brain isn't the Tony Robbins, <laughs> Oprah, Amy Cuddle. Like my brain isn't, it's not hardwired for that. It's so funny though when you say that because you are that to so many people. So it's funny that you say that you should say that that's not how you're hardwired because it mm. is how you show up for other people. So, and just so you know. Oh, well, I've always, I've always said my Instagram is preaching to the choir. <laughs> I go back and I read my yeah. own Instagram. Yeah. Because, because I need to hear it consistently. I say it because I need to hear it. I'm not on this. I mean, I told you before this podcast, I almost wanted to cancel this podcast because I am in a funk the last couple of days. I am not positive. I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling hormonal. I'm feeling very postpartum. I'm missing my mom like crazy, even though it's been three years since she's died, like when you're going through different seasons, your hormones show up differently. Your life shows up differently for you in different seasons. Like there's times where you're feeling on top of the world and you're feeling strong. And then there's other times where you're just like, it's a constant flow. But the number one thing between all of those things is action, no matter how you're feeling. Because if you, people ask me all the time, whoa, where do you find the motivation? I don't find motivation. Motivation really does nothing for me. Seeing other people working out or seeing other people's bodies or seeing, you know, where people quite often tend to look for motivation. Motivation has failed me. It's never really done much for me because if I only waited to go for a walk or to move when I felt motivated, it would never happen. Right. Other than maybe if I've had a huge cup of coffee and I'm listening to some really, really good music. (laughs) Yes. Then I feel motivated. But if I waited for motivation, I would never do anything because I'm just tired. (laughs) Fair enough. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just tired. Discipline and action takes you a lot further than motivation or inspiration. It's deciding. And there's so many amazing YouTube videos about deciding to act. It's deciding to do something and doing it and not, not getting distracted and not waiting for motivation. Just do it. And the motivation comes when you're doing it. The motivation comes afterwards. What you do for your body psychologically, physiologically, every other word that sounds really cool, (laughs) what you do for your body when you just go for a walk, whether it's in sunshine and a beautiful 75 degree California day, or I mean, people tell me this all the time. Well, I'd go for a walk if it wasn't cloudy and raining. Um, (laughs) Put on your rain boots. (laughs) Those walks that you have in the rain are so powerful. Those walks that you have in the snow when it's minus 20 degrees, because remember, I grew up in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. I grew up in darkness and in cold. And when you go out in the dark and you put your snow boots on and your thermal underwear and all of your layers and you go for a walk, it is so powerful, a lot more powerful than it is going for a walk in the sunshine, even though the sunshine is good for you and the amount of science behind sunlight and light energy and what it does to your cells is is incredible. But it's not to negate the fact that going for a walk, no matter where you are, is powerful, especially when you're alone and you're alone with your thoughts and you start becoming aware of your thoughts and aware of what your thoughts are telling you. Because you're constantly telling yourself something, you're giving yourself a script. And there's two parts, there's your brain and there's your mind, and they're two different things. One tells the other what to do. It's not just a, oh, free for all. (laughs) Well, I just, this is just who I am. No, false. 
You can change who you are because you can talk to yourself. We do it all day long. You talk to yourself and you tell yourself who you are and who you want to be. So when you go for a walk, you can change who you are and who you want to be. And you can go for a walk every single day. You can walk in place. You can, you can do a five minute workout in your, in your living room. There's so many things that you can do. I feel like you show on your Instagram account little workouts that you do at home every once in a while and with your kids even there. With my kids, with my slippers on. Yeah. Doesn't have to be the newest Lululemon kit that you're wearing at the best gym in town or the best spin class. Like just, just get moving. No, and I mean, that, that's amazing when you're in your 20s. Go for it. You're single <laughs> yes. and you want to show up at the gym in your new Fabletics or Nike or whatever you're wearing. Oh, girl, I'm all about that. Do it. I used to spend two hours at the gym. Yes. You know, I loved it. Now with three kids, I don't have time to go to the bathroom. It's just a season. Like you have to find out. That's why comparison is so hard because comparison is crippling. You're going to paralyze yourself because you're not in that other person's season. You know, you find these things for inspiration and motivation. And that's fine. If that does inspire you, that's great but stay in your lane. I don't like that term because it kind of sh means that, oh, you need to stay in your lane. You can't be anything else. No, your lane changes. Your lane can change, but don't be in someone else's lane. Be in yours and be the best that you can be in your season. I love that. And on that note, we will be right back after a word from this episode's sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by K-Pure Naturals. Created by a mom of four, K-Pure products are all natural, non-toxic, and ethically sourced so you know you are only putting the best of the best on your body. Their drenched whipped face and body butter is absolutely to die for, and lately I've been using their Rose Quartz Facial Roller and Gua Sha Tools in the evening as part of my bedtime routine. The Overachiever Balm and Sleepy Time Baby Wash are also favorites. I honestly can't say enough good things about this company. I absolutely love them. And I'm so excited because they're giving our listeners 20% off all purchases on their site when you visit kpurenaturals.com and use the discount code RAW20. You can also find them over on Instagram at kpurenaturals. Now let's get back to the show. I'm curious to know what your thoughts are when you're in a season and you're in your own lane, but it feels really lonely, like you've lost a parent and none of your friends have lost a parent or you've had a baby and none of your friends have had a baby yet and it feels isolating and lonely. What, what have you done to overcome that? Is that even something that you felt? Where can people go in order to connect? Let me tell you a little bit of something about feeling lonely. <laughs> So I always say this, and it's a joke, even though I could cry saying it. I've lived my life almost in opposition to everyone else. So when I was having a baby at 23, no one else around in my circle was having babies. So I got married really young. I got married when I was 19. Obviously, no one around me was getting married. I did have one couple friend who was married at the time, but... I was married and having a baby. Everyone else is single and out partying. I had a baby. So I was kind of in that like, you know, season. But then as I was getting separated, everyone else was getting engaged. As I was getting divorced, everyone else was getting married. When everyone was having kids, I was already divorced and I was sharing my baby 50% with my ex-husband. So I had a week off where I was basically single and ready to mingle. <laughs> yes. But all my friends were home having babies. Right. And then now that their babies are now in school and they have more time to hang out, I'm having babies. <laughs> so so what you're saying is you do resonate with feeling lonely. <laughs> yes. And I live in Topanga where People aren't very <laughs> excited about coming to visit me because it is a little bit of a, of a hike to get out here. So I'm all alone. I don't have family around. All my family lives in Canada. I don't have parents. I don't have grandparents. They're all dead. I feel very lonely. Mm. <laughs> I have a husband and I have children 
And I'm extremely grateful for that. But yeah, I'm lonely constantly. And it's a huge trap, especially when you are more hardwired to be a victim and to feel sorry for yourself. Again, is just using the tool of asking a, a deeper question of why. So I, I allow myself to feel lonely because it just is where I'm at right now. And I keep on reminding myself it's a season. I have small kids. I have a baby who's four months old, who's napping. I have a, you know, an 18, 20 month old, however old he is. You don't even know after three kids. <laughs> He's almost two. <laughs> who's also, you know, he needs that two hour nap in the afternoon because otherwise he doesn't function. So I'm housebound quite often because I'm in a season of small kids and a teenager who needs to be still driven to and from volleyball practice sometimes at nine o'clock at night, you know? So I'm in a very, lonely season of just not being able to do a lot. So I think reminding yourself, if you are in a season like me, where if you're lonely and you're not in that season, then it's more of a question of what can you do? What action can you take again? Yeah. Yeah. So if you, if you do have accessibility for, you know, a small group or join a gym where there's more community or find Find what you like to do and then there's communities around everything, whether it's pottery or singing or bird watching or hiking or I don't know what. There's I feel like there's clubs for everything nowadays. So you you do need to reach out because a huge tool that I learned from one of the five therapists that I went to in the five years that I was being separated from my husband, <laughs> we went through a ton of different therapists. A huge, huge, huge nugget that I got from her. I'll make this story short, but I fell asleep on the couch in my ex-husband's apartment when we were having one of our therapy sessions. I woke up freezing cold because nobody put a blanket on me. Hmm. And I woke up with my neck being out. I had fallen asleep on the couch. So I woke up so angry because I was freezing cold and now I had my neck out. And I talked to my therapist the next day. And I was so angry and I was like, I fell asleep on the couch and he didn't wake me up and or put a blanket on me. I would have put a blanket on him, like something like that. Yes. I forget how it went. But she basically gave me such a kick or slap to the face and it hurt and I, I didn't like it. But she was like, well, did you ask him to put a blanket on you? Did you ask him to wake you up in, in case you fell asleep? And I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> but that should just be something that he did. My ex-husband, right. Basically, the nugget that I got from it was start taking responsibility for your life because nobody owes you anything. So if you're lonely, do something about it. <laughs> as much as that sucks to hear when you're lonely and when you're depressed, like for me, it's not my go-to to ask for help at all. It's my ego it's my years and years of, of habitual victimization. I'm not comfortable in asking for help. And is that my own fault? Yes. Because at some point you need to grow up and you need to start taking responsibility for your life and what you want that to look like. So if you're lonely, you can do something about that. Only you can do something about that. If you're lonely and you're waiting for someone to call or you're waiting for someone to come over, yeah, if you're lucky, that might happen. But for a lot of people, that's not going to happen because people are so busy <laughs> nowadays. Yeah. So busy with their own lives and with a million other things that are in the palm of their hand in a smartphone that everyone is overcommitted and spread way too thin. There's not that connection. There's not that human connection anymore. We've lost the art of that. So I, I think these devices are making people lonelier. Because you are able to just sit at home alone, feel like you're connected when really you're not. Mm -hmm. You're not humanly connected. You are connected to the world, which is causing our children to have massive bouts of anxiety because they can now access every single celebrity and every single thing that's going on in the world in the palm of their hand laying in bed at night. And they're now able to know exactly what's going on with all the shootings and with everything else that you wouldn't have known really what's going on before having a smartphone because you would have had to turn on your TV or you would have had to have, you know, heard it from some other source. But now every single child 
or teenager or whatever has a smartphone and has that anxiety coming into them, which all of us have, but we don't have time to have that human connection or we don't make time anymore to slow down and have that human connection, which is just making our culture lonelier and lonelier. So my remedy for that yes, yes. is put your phone down and go meet someone and connect or pick up your phone and call someone and say, I need you to come over whenever you're able to because I'm lonely and I need connection or I need help. And again, I'm preaching to the choir here because like I said, I've had a rough couple of days and weeks where I have not done that. And I know I need to do that because your husband can only do so much. He's not the end all be all. You need to have different connections at different points. And to just put that all on one person is not fair because as we all know, you can be in a crowd, you can be in the middle of Times Square and feel completely lonely because it's a connection thing. It's not about who you're around, right? It's about opening up and being able to be vulnerable with someone and have them be able to relate and feel that sense of connection that takes you out of your loneliness. Absolutely. And I think you just hit the nail on the head with that piece in regards to putting yourself out there, reaching out and asking someone to come over. It can be a very vulnerable thing or very vulnerable experience. And when we're not feeling our best, sometimes it's hard to do that. But if there's anything that we can take from this conversation today, it is that action sometimes needs to happen before your mindset has even caught up to it. And I think it's Mel Robbins who teaches the five, four, three, two, one method. Decide on something that you're going to do, count down from five, and then just do it. Get out of your head, get into your body and just do it. Just do it. And it's so cliche. Unfortunately, it's turned into such a cliche. But when you actually implement it into your life, your life will change and other lives will change as an effect around you. Like taking responsibility for it like the whole therapy couch situation example that I gave, it's taking responsibility for your own life. And it's the five, four, three, two, one. It's life is not going to happen for you. Life is going to happen. You're the one that decides what's going to happen for you because you're the one that can take action towards that. You don't know what's going to happen a week down the road. You don't know what's going to happen five years down the road, but your habits Your action turns into habits and your habits become your life. And you are the only person that can take responsibility for that. No one can do it for you. And once, once you do that and do it over and over and over and over again, then your life changes. It it doesn't mean nothing negative is going to happen to you. It will 100% it will. No one gets out of this life alive. No one gets out of it without death around them without pain, without adversity, without toxicity. Even if you're living off the grid, you're still going to be dealing with pain and with ailments. There's no way of getting around it. There's only ways of getting through it. That sounds like the perfect place to pop into our raw rapid fire questions, because I don't think you could have summed everything up better than that, (laughs) possibly. All right. What is your spirit age? Spirit age? What is that? That's a great question. Like if you had to pick an age where you just feel like that's where you're meant to be or that you just show up in the world, like maybe like an 80-year-old woman or like a six-year-old girl or whatever it is, what is your age that comes to mind? Oh my goodness. So I have many different ages. My husband laughs and calls me a grandma because I still write my grocery list I have to write it on a piece of paper with a pen. I hate computers. I even hate phones because I am a tactile (laughs) grandma who needs to have stuff written down. But in other ways, I feel like a little girl because I feel like I'm so young and inexperienced and, and I feel like a baby because I'm 40 years old and I usually during the day somehow kind of relate more to like an 18 year old. Like I have to remind myself that I'm a 40 year old woman, whatever that means, because I don't feel like what I thought a 40, my dad died at 40. My dad was 40 and I thought he was an old man, but now I'm like, oh my goodness, I feel like a little girl. 18 and 80, it sounds like. (laughs) Yes, 18 and 80. 
Yes. I'm a, I'm a bipolar spirit. <laughs> what is your word for 2019? My word for 2019 is move. It's been move for the last couple of years because I feel like I, I need to have that word as, as my word till the day I die. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like, I mean, sometimes I feel like you go through decades where the same word might keep presenting itself. So move, move, move. How long does it take you to get ready in the morning? Uh, I'm never ready. (laughs) (laughs) Ready, ready for what? To change another diaper? Like my life and my schedule is not getting ready. Is it getting ready to leave the house? That would be a different answer. You know what I mean? I love your answer. So how long does it take for me to get ready? It doesn't take a long time. It takes a matter of seconds because getting ready for me doesn't include putting on makeup or doing my hair or anything like that. It hasn't included that for a long time. So it doesn't take me very long to get ready at all. So next question, what is your love language? Probably touch. Who do you Insta-stalk? That's a funny question because I Insta-stalked two people, which I won't mention their names, for the last two years. And it was my New Year's resolution to stop Insta-stalking them. (laughs) And I have not checked their page since New Year's Day. And it's literally like quitting smoking because it is so huge for me. I validated my choice to, oh, I'm just going to do a quick check. Oh, I'm going to do a quick peek and it's not going to affect me. I just really want to know what's going on. No, it was so detrimental for me and it's so hard almost every single day. It's getting easier now, but it, the addiction to checking someone else's page and what they're doing is so huge, but it's very, very detrimental. So I actually can say wholeheartedly, truthfully, I don't Insta-stalk anybody. Yes, I love it. And it is so detrimental. And it's not that sometimes like I Insta-stalk lots of people who I feel like are very positive influences on my life, but we all have those few that we look at that it's not doing us any favors. It's not giving the inspiration feelings. (laughs) No, it's totally a closet addiction because you feel like, oh, it's not that bad. It's not you know, I'm just going to check really quick. It's not going to do anything when it does a lot. When you know the science behind everything that goes on in your brain, it does a lot. Would you rather watch Netflix, read or listen to a podcast? 100% listen to a podcast. Do you have any favorites? Yes, (laughs) but they're probably not going to be a lot of other people's go-tos because it's all about like biohacking and (laughs) redox signaling and Uh, a lot of that kind of stuff. I have two kind of go-tos. I definitely love, you know, more of like the Amy Cuddle or the Mel Robbins, like those type of of ones where it's like tangible steps and kind of actionable, ooh, little goodies to take Mm -hmm. away. But then I also love the Ben Greenfields or the Rhonda Patrick's or stuff where I feel like I'm smarter just listening to it, even though I don't understand it. Right. I don't retain it, but oh my goodness, is the information phenomenal. Yes. I just listened to Ben Greenfield and Joe Rogan talking about sleep habits. And I was like, (gasps) emailed my husband. I'm like, who is this guy? He is so smart and so intense. (laughs) But yes. Oh my goodness. I love his information that he gives. We'll link to his, some of his stuff and some of the podcasts that she just mentioned in the show notes. Filters and Facetune. Is that a yay or a nay? I think it's a big, 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 big disservice. (laughs) Mm. Have I used it in the past? Yes. Am I using it in the future? No. It's one of those things. It's like, do you want to show up for yourself in the best way possible? Yes. Do you, you know, do you go outside and you want to put on makeup? There's nine out of 10 times I'll go out without putting on makeup. But the days that I do just throw on some mascara or throw on, you know, some blush or do my eyebrows or whatever, it does change how I feel about myself. And I think that's a good thing. Mm. I think that using Facetune and, and altering how you look is extremely detrimental to not only yourself, but to other people who you show up for. For me, if I Facetuned all of my pictures, 
on Instagram. And then I went out and someone saw me in the market without any makeup on and they wouldn't recognize me. That would be a bad thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like to show up with flaws and with wrinkles and with skin issues. But then again, like if it almost like the drinking wine thing, if it makes you feel better to take out some of the blemishes that you're putting on an Instagram feed, then by all means, do it. Like Teach their own. If it does make you feel better, if it's a crutch and you can't go outside now and you have anxiety about meeting someone because they're going to see the real you, then that kind of sucks. Yeah. I, yeah, I think it does more of a disservice than it does to just being real and and being messy. I think we need to embrace messiness and no makeup more than the glamour. Glamour shots are fine. And I think they're beautiful and they're fun, but not for every day. Yeah. I mean, you modeled for years. You have so many beautiful shots. I'm also just dying with these baby sounds that are happening in the background. It is making my ovaries <laughs> hurt. And if you could see her right now in her little unicorn pink jammies, oh. she's standing up on my lap looking all mushroomy and cute. Sweetie. What a cute, cute girl. Oh my gosh. Okay. What is your greatest wellness hack? Oh, that's, I know that's a tough one. Um, I feel like it's, it's different for my, for my audience. Like it's different for everyone. If you don't have the tools, like, you know, an ozone sauna or red light therapy or, mm -hmm. <laughs> or different things <laughs> like that. My, I think my number one wellness hack would be ozone. Okay. What is ozone? Is it the ozone therapy though, or where they do like an IV and inject ozone or oxygen into your body? Yep. There's one way of doing it. There's also insufflation where you can do it in your ears. Okay. You can do it rectally. You can do it vaginally. Oh, interesting. It's, yeah, incredible. You can also use ozone in an ointment, like in an oil, and do it on your skin. There's an ozone sauna that you can sit in the sauna and have all of your pores open up and have the ozone be put in that way. You just can't breathe it in. You can't breathe it into your lungs. But I would say that would be my number one hack. And my number two hack would be uh, going for a walk. Love it. Last but not least, one word to describe yourself. One word to describe myself oh, at this moment in time would be irrational. Yes. Um, hormonal. <laughs> but I would, I would probably say raw. I would say that is the, the, the number one way because that kind of encompasses everything that I'm going through. I feel like one minute I'm on top of the world and the next literally minute, like if I were to Insta story my day, people would think I'm crazy. But that's, that's the season that I'm in because hormonally I'm just constantly going through stuff. Circumstantially I am and I'm just trying to embrace that, embrace the messiness, embrace the rawness, stop trying to judge it or analyze it and just be in it. That is is that raw? The perfect definition of raw and honestly you you may define yourself as all of those things but from anybody who's looking outward in you are just a beam of love, a beam of light, somebody who I feel like you just, you have this gift of feeling everything and every emotion so strongly and it must be overwhelming at times. But we also, I feel like learn so much from you in your ability to share that with the world because they're human emotions and things that all of us feel at one time or another. So thank you for showing up the way that you do. Thank you for carving out time from your busy schedule for being here today and I can't wait to see what is next for you. Where can people find you? Where can they follow along to catch these little glimpses of your of your life? Well, I think the number one place right now is Instagram, honestly. We try to get back to messages as much as I can, but I've had to also, for my own health, <laughs> filter that out. But I try to just be where I'm at and to share that. And I can't get back to everybody, but hopefully with them being able to see my life and kind of what I do, then I answer questions within that, if that makes sense, because I do share a lot about health and wellness and recipes. And so if there's camaraderie in that, then, then great. There, there absolutely <laughs> is. 
That's it for this episode, but be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single show. Simply search for Raw Beauty Talks on iTunes and click subscribe. If you like this episode, take a screenshot and share it on social tagging at Raw Beauty Talks. We'll be regramming your posts every week. Last but not least, don't forget to visit our website at rawbeauty.co to get your free handout, which summarizes all the key notes and takeaways from this episode. As we wrap things up, remember, your body is different than any other body out there. So as you listen to these episodes, it's important to keep tuning back into yourself to see what really resonates for you. Above all else, remember, you are worthy, you are beautiful, and you are not alone on this incredible journey called life. Do you ever feel like you're struggling through motherhood? You're not alone. I'm Erica Jossa, host of the MomWell podcast, therapist and mom of three. Join me each Wednesday as I sit down with guests, including psychologists, pediatricians, psychiatrists, fertility specialists, lactation consultants, and more to unravel the myths of motherhood. With expert advice, practical tips, self-love, and some coping skills to help you along the way, you can become the mother you want to be. Listen to the MomWell podcast at momwell.com slash listen or on your favorite podcast platform.